Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 70, coming at you from the Mean Your True Value and Riverwood Gallery studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. A little bit of a different lineup tonight. I am solo in terms of the three originals. Uh, Justin could not make it tonight, and Ramsey's still on vacation on his way back from a trip that took him to Bristol, Tennessee. So, long trip for him, but... He will. I'm sure he will be back next week. Justin also planning to be back next week. Instead of our general, you know, are the three of us, we have a new co-host for the evening, but somebody that you've heard before. Joining me tonight via Zoom, Mason Sprangers. Mason, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Fantastic. So we are ready for episode 70. And Mason, we're going to keep a lot of the same stuff that we usually do. And your first really time co-hosting this podcast with me. I mean, you've been a guest where we've talked for an hour or more at length, but you're here for the full ride this time. Are you ready? Man, I, I hope so. I should have uh, you know, been taking some notes during my, my listening to, to past episodes. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> I, I, hopefully I do the show justice here. I, well, I don't know if you can do worse than Justin Ramsey. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> But anyway, so first we always got to talk about our partners over at Monkey Knife Fight and Raise Energy. First, Monkey Knife Fight. I mean, Mason, you play, you know, you can play along. You can watch the games and play along with kind of the things that we talk about. We do enough to talk about between NASCAR, golf, uh, now the USFL and, and other football during the regular season for the Packers. There's enough for us to talk about where you can probably get a pretty good idea of who's going to do well, who's going to score, etc. It's basically free money in your pocket. Play along with the contest. Do what you can do. And like I said, it's you're not playing against pros. You're not playing against formulas and rosters. You're playing against yourself. And if you can't beat yourself, who's going to, you know? Exactly. So that is Monkey Knife Fight. Our friends over there play along with the contest. And, you know, put some money in your pocket. Also, our friends over at Raise Energy, another lifestyle, Mason. Uh, you know, we talk about the energy drinks, the, the supplements, the pre-workout the snacks they've got protein popcorn protein cakes protein pancakes uh, apparel it's all there it's really a lifestyle sleep supplements for when you you know when it's time to go to bed after using rays all day uh code rep on repsports.com code root four r o o t number four code root four 15 percent off any order and with that we get into the episode itself and that is our first segment which is what we had rooted for over the last week and that is brought to you by Fanatics. Whether your team's on top of the world or at the bottom of the league, show your love for your team, especially now at the start of baseball season. Hashtag big league style. Show off your love for your team like I did on Friday night down at uh, American Family Field. And I'll start us off with that, Mason. I got to go back to uh, Milwaukee for the first time this season. Many times I've been a visitor of American Family Field, Miller Park, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same to watch the Brewers play. Unfortunately, they got their ass kicked. It was a 10-1 to game and really just a disaster. However, did get to see the trophy presentation for the Cy Young and reliever of the year for Corbin Burns and Josh Hader, respectively. Uh, just a great time to be back at the ballpark. Energy through the roof. Quite literally, the roof was closed. But the energy all the way through. <laughs> And really hoping big things for this team. We'll talk touch more on them just a little bit later. Um, but just really excited to be back at, they call it the keg for some people, but back at American Family Field. So that's what I had rooted for this last week. Mason, how about you? 
Man, well, personally, um, I'm excited in our great state of Wisconsin that the weather finally is starting to turn a little bit. I know I've been itching to get out on the golf course and uh, was fortunate enough to get out on the course today. And you know, we got some good weather coming, hopefully. So I know a lot of people are itching to get back out on the links. So uh, definitely rooted for that. And, um, you know, still right in the, the flesh of, uh, of NASCAR season here. So I was rooting for my guy, Ch- Chase Elliott at the uh, Bristol dirt race last weekend and then, uh, upcoming race at Talladega this weekend. So, uh, a couple of things that have been rooted forward last week. That's fantastic. And I want to ask you, so Rams and we'll talk to Ramsey about this next week. Cause he was actually at the race. He was there last year. He was there this year. Um, so I, I will get his perspective on that next week. So unfortunately you're going to miss that Mason. You'll have to listen to it next week, but I want to ask you as someone who, you know, who follows NASCAR pretty closely, and, you know, I, I actually enjoyed this year's a lot more, but what did you think of the product this year versus last year for the dirt race? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I thought the, the product was a lot better this year than it was last year. And I don't know, I think a couple of things maybe played into that. Um, you know, last year's was run during the day and it was pretty sunny the entire race, if I remember right. So I think maybe the, the sun and the heat kind of prevented moisture from staying in the racetrack and you had a lot of dust um compared to this year and maybe the rain that came a couple times helped keep some moisture in the track um but yeah i I thought it was great um you know i've been a little skeptical as far as doing dirt on bristol like i'm all for doing a dirt race i think it's great i think uh it's something different you have so many guys on the circuit that come from a dirt background so you know, going and doing that once a year, I think is awesome. Uh, I love my concrete Bristol though. And I wish they would still have two dates on the original concrete surface. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I thought the, the racing this year was fantastic. And of course it came right down to the end as uh, a number of the races this year have so far. Yeah. And I, I gotta say, I just want to add, I think, I think a big thing was having it at night. I mean, I don't know about you and, and where you grew up going to short tracks and whatnot, but there's just something special about a nighttime dirt race mm-hmm. that just really can't be beat. For me, it was Shano going to Shano Speedway and, you know, mm-hmm. guys that, and gals for that matter, getting, you know, just that Saturday night dirt feeling. That's the only thing that I think was missing was that it was Sunday night instead of Saturday night. But if, mm-hmm. I mean, take what you will. I mean, that's, that'll come eventually, but I do want to ask, you know, if you were to pick one track to be a dirt track and, and maybe Bristol just maybe having two races later in the year um, on the concrete, do you think Bristol would be the right choice or do you think there's another track they could more easily convert or better convert for a dirt track race? Sure. Well, I think the, you know, the, the thing is with balancing that. So, if, you know, if you want to have the two concrete Bristol dates, you know, there are so many great short track in the country, whether it's at Eldora or Knoxville have both put on really good races. The only issue with that is that, you know, they don't have 50,000, 60,000 and in Bristol's case, you know, 120,000 seats, um, for a dirt race. So, um, you know, tracks that are currently on the circuit, I would say, yeah, Bristol's probably the the best option because, you know, they run so many different series, at Bristol on the dirt starting, I believe in early March and they run them all through the week and on weekends leading up to the, the cup race at Bristol, you know, in mid May or in mid April. So, um, you know, tracks that are currently on the circuit. Yeah. I think Bristol is definitely the the best one, uh, as far as having dirt, but 
I sure wish they could, you know, somehow, uh, see the cup cars like on Eldora or at Knoxville, or I'm sure there's other dirt tracks in the country that are really good as far as putting on good shows, but they just don't have the seating capacity. Unfortunately, that Bristol does. Yeah, definitely good stuff. And, and like I said, we'll talk to Ramsey more about being at the race, uh, coming up next week when he's back with us. So Mason, from the positives to the negatives, we go to our Tyler hero noogie of the week and, I'm going to use my noogie of the week this week on just kind of the, the quality of the NBA playoffs. And, and we've gotten some really good games and, and I guess my ultimate kind of my noogie here, we are mostly in the game two of most of these series and we already have some major superstars who are hurt. Um, and, you know, and truthfully, just even the TV flow of the scheduling these games. And I know that you have to, it's so dependent on, other events at the arenas like you know i don't know what go what's all going on in milwaukee but for for games one and two they had to kind of do around other events that are set and so i don't know if it's a scheduling thing or just trying to get your your best games in premier television just kind of spacing it out but going from saturday to to wednesday is a long wait in between games for me and then also like i said just some of these injuries that we're seeing and it's an unfortunate it's part of the game it's unfortunate but guys who've already gone down, we've seen Luka Doncic go down for Dallas. We've seen Chris Middleton now for Milwaukee. And we've also seen Devin Booker go down where he could miss a month of the season for the Suns, which really could be ride or die for them. Um, so really just kind of disappointing, I guess, in that sense where, you know, it's part of the game. You've got to play through injuries next man up, but kind of disappointing in the sense that you may not get some of the best players playing in the biggest moments of the season. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've, I've always wondered that with, with the NBA and to your point, there's probably a lot more like scheduling logistic wise that we don't necessarily see as outsiders. But, you know, I remember seeing that the, the Bucks are playing on Saturday and then, um, you know, I'm not a huge NBA follower by any means, uh, anymore, but, you know, I saw it was advertised that, you know, their next game was coming up on and Wednesday night, I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's probably game three. And then I saw on the bottom of the screen that it was game two. And I'm like, why are there four days in between basketball games? I mean, just it's insane to be, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the NHL has quicker turnarounds uh, in their playoff games. And I think it's a lot more physical game. I think anyone, whether you're a huge basketball fan or not, I would think anyone would say that hockey is a lot more physical than than basketball is and they have a lot quicker turnaround so yeah it's definitely odd flow wise to your point yeah definitely mason your noogie of the week this week if you have one. Ooh, i this is a this is a new segment for me what what am i what am i diving into here? all right so Just, you know, something that i'm something that i'm upset about so we use the tyler so tyler hero is a he's from uh Whitnall, wisconsin and yes. he honestly just kind of looks like a douche and he spurned Wisconsin. He was originally committed to the University of Wisconsin. And yes. going into his senior year, he ended up withdrawing his commitment and then going to be a one-and-done guy at Kentucky. So that was okay. kind of enough of, you know, that probably would be enough for a lot of people. However, yeah. Ramsey and myself are big LeBron fans. And in 2020, in the NBA playoff bubble, we saw the NBA finals matchup of the Miami Heat versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Tyler Hero playing for the Miami Heat. And this baby face son of a gun friggin' he's sitting out there hitting this this 
mean mug weird I, I don't even know what to call it it's just a bad face is what he was he's sitting there with a smirk and a scowl it's like dude you guys lost in, i think they lost in six um mm-hmm. and i think only one or two of the games were close and he you know in the game one of the games that they won to his credit uh he's hitting that that mean mug smug uh scowl on his face and it's just like ah man i don't know so anyway so all that considered combined with the fact that there's nothing really more humiliating than getting a noogie you know guy puts you under his armpit you're stuck in the armpit you're sitting there getting your head you know noogied on it's just kind of embarrassing so something that frustrated you over the last week something that you know made you upset uh past winners of this award um i know we've we, all three of us have gotten one ourselves uh or you know, multiple actually at this point but just something that, you know, kind of made you upset. Now, not this is not to be confused with the Kevin King Dumpster Fire of the Year Award, <laughs> which which we use for catastrophic events. Sure. Uh, but this is just something that just kind of made you like, oh, man, that's stupid. Yeah, well, the thing that I think about right away when you put it in such great terms as you did um, would be, you know, this, last, this past weekend I'm watching golf and I'm going to draw a blank on which player it was on the PGA tour. They were playing down in uh, Hilton head, South Carolina. And this has been something so frustrating to me for years and nothing has been done about it. And really it hasn't even been discussed really in an open forum, like on by the golf analysts that are on TV, a guy hits a drive right down the middle of the fairway. The ball comes to rest in a divot and he cannot move that ball. I think it's the stupidest thing in the entire world. Like the guy hits a perfect shot. He does everything right. And the ball ends up in a divot and he can't, you know, pick that ball up and place it an inch to the right or to the left, no closer to the hole. I just, I've never understood why that's not a rule. I've, I, you know, you're penalizing guys for hitting good shots. Um, any golfers out there, I think everybody knows that, you know, if your ball is in a divot, it's, it's harder to hit. You know, you can't get as clean a contact. You really have to hit down on it to get some more solid contact on it. And, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. It irks me so bad every time I see it. So I guess that would be my, uh, my new gear of the week. Mason, that was absolutely perfect for that segment. That is exactly what the design of that segment was. Uh, so absolutely perfect. Great job. So appreciate it. <laughs> so with that, uh, just a couple of notes from around the state of Wisconsin. And actually, that's probably the quickest we've ever gotten through the root fours and the noogie. So excellent efficiency on your end, too. Um, but just a couple of notes from around the state of Wisconsin. So the Brewers are in the early part of their season. They are now eight and five on the year. Off day today, they will play again. They will play a three game set in Philadelphia against the Phillies. Uh, I think before they make a quick trip home. Um, back to Milwaukee, but they have a three-game set coming up against the Phillies, who are five and eight. Uh, hopefully, Freddie Peralta can turn his season around. He's had two kind of rough outings. He'll take the bump on Friday night. Um, so really, just kind of fun to watch them at this early part of the year. You know, Justin kind of gets on my case, and Ramsey gets on my case. Baseball is boring, and and no one cares about April baseball. And which you know, for the most part, they're probably right. But we're gonna talk about it anyway, and they can't tell me to shut up. So that's our kind of what's brewing segment. Um, you know, the offense kind of sputtering still has had some uh, hiccups here and there, but uh, looks like they might be turning around, kind of getting a little bit more consistent anyway. 
Uh, also, then we're going to talk about the Bucks quick here as well. And Bucks are now tied one to one. And as you mentioned, Mason, they do not play game three till Saturday. Um, so just again, that long scheduling. Chris Middleton is officially out for this first series with a sprained MCL. So we'll see how the Bucks can overcome that injury. That is a big injury for them, but I don't think it's uh, going to be the end of the world for them. But that is kind of what's going on in Milwaukee. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've, I've caught a couple of the Brewers games, and yeah, the the offense, you know, it definitely has its moments of sputtering. You know, there's a couple of times where they've had ten straight batters retired, but then you know, they've shown a couple of times too, where it gets down to clutch situations and they can come up with some big hits. Um, I can't remember. I was watching some game over the past weekend and Colton Wong had that, you know, triple down the right field line and, uh, they end up winning the game, you know, I believe late that was and, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the bats are starting to come a little bit, you know, Yelich hit a grand slam the other day and, um, Rowdy Telez a couple of days back to back home runs. So, uh, hopefully it's just a, a sign of good things to come. And thankfully, uh, Burns looks really good on the mound and, you know, old reliable Josh Hader is still coming in and closing out games. So, um, you know, still, still early in the season. So I'm sure there's, you know, there's plenty of time to, to get the bats going. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of the age old adage, if you will, has always been the pitching has always been ahead of batters. Batters are usually catch on come May and June. Um, April's usually a month for the pitchers. So you know, I don't think it's too concerning. I know we've talked about this team at length where for the, as much of the face of the franchise is young guys, a.k.a. Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, uh, Willie Adamas at shortstop. But it's so many young guys, but it's such a veteran-laden team between Colton Wong, uh, Hunter Renfro, Omar Narvaez. You know, just the list goes on and on. Uh, Lorenzo Cain, mm-hmm. Christian Yelich, where these guys have been playing for a long time. So it's not outside the realm of of crazy that you know it's just going to take a little bit of time for the bats to catch up like it almost always does so yeah they'll go through spurts and yeah. yeah definitely i was just going to say i think it's really important too to point out the fact that you know the the team chemistry that we've seen over the last few years is still there um you know i think at least from my perspective i'm sure a lot of people that watch them too they just all seem to really like each other and they like playing together and I've always been a, of the opinion that, um, you know, that team cohesion and enjoying being together is, is huge for morale and it can help your play on the field. So, and I think Willie Adamas has really, you know, done a great job of ever since he came to Milwaukee, he's kind of, kind of been the centerpiece of that. So it's really good to see that they're still gelling even with some new guys in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, I'm glad you touched on that just because, you know, you look at, how many faces and baseball is you know notorious for how many faces come and go each year you know you look at a couple years back in the 2018 uh nlcs run how many guys are no longer on this team between arcia pina uh ernan perez guys like that of that you know kind of those spark plug type guys but every time that they lose one they gain one back willie adamas uh colton wong's been really good for that they still got brent Suter. Um, all these clubhouse guys, if you will, that just kind of buy into the the environment, and it just it's something different. It's something every year that's different with these guys, but they all kind of maintain the same. Even Andrew McCutcheon, uh, kind of coming in and just meshing with like Willie Adamas right away. That thing that's huge, and I, I I'm totally on the same page with you on that, Mason. Where a guy, a team 
that is very talented, that has that cohesion, I think is better than a team that is probably maybe more talented but doesn't have that same thing. And I think that's better in the long run. That's more likely for a championship for a team that wants to play together, that wants to show up to the ballpark 162 plus times a year, plus playoffs, plus spring training, plus, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's the one of the most important things, especially in a sport like baseball, where you have to have that long season to, to gel together and be all on the same page. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you've seen that over the last few years, too. Like, um, you know, the Braves and the Nationals who have won World Series over the past few years, like, they definitely weren't the most talented teams going into playoff time. But, you know, they they get a spark. And at least from my perspective, like, the Braves last year, they were so much fun to watch. They were having so much fun out there. And then you look at other teams that have kind of been there, done that, like the Dodgers or the Astros, like you just didn't really sense that same kind of spark from them. So I completely agree. Yeah. That, you know, having that cohesion can kind of make up in some ways for maybe not having as much talent on your roster. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about getting hot and at the right time and, and blending together as a team and a unit. So uh, obviously there will be probably more additions to this team anyway um, as the season goes along between guys getting called up and called down and you know undoubtedly you know, trades that have happened throughout the year and whatnot too so like I said 13 games into 162 se- game season a lot to be said a lot to be seen but early on you gotta like you know for as much as the offense has struggled at times you gotta like at where you know being eight and five when they very well could be you know, five and eight and kind of struggling to go uphill. So always good to kind of roll and keep the punches going and keep going with the team. So with that, uh, Mason, the reason we originally brought you on uh, this week and and as we get, you know, to probably, I'm guessing one of your favorite times of year, definitely one of mine and, you know, really a lot of people's time of year, it's NFL draft season. And we are officially, as of today, one week away from the first round of the NFL draft. Yes, sir. And... So with that, you know, a lot of different angles that kind of break down um, of guys who, you know, of the NFL draft, a lot of different storylines. I guess before we get into that, I do want to ask, just as, you know, we talk football here, did you catch any USFL over the weekend? I caught a little bit. I, I didn't catch too much. Um, I heard a couple of the games were, were pretty close, um, so it created some excitement, but um, I didn't really get it to watch enough to you know, give a good, honest opinion. I want to see, you know, some of the rules that they're trying. I think they're trying some, some different things from a, a safety protocol type thing. I don't know if they're doing the kickoffs the same way that the XFL had done it uh, in the previous year that they seem to have some success with, but um, yeah, definitely going to need to check that out uh, this coming weekend. Now, and the reason I bring that up first before we really get into it is the USFL and all these other spring leagues, they can be great development leagues for guys who maybe who don't get drafted and, and we'll get, and that's where I transition here. Uh, you know, I know you had shared it on Facebook and we shared it on, on our page here. So your draft big board is done. And I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you the significance. Cause I know that you said that there was a number of guys that you had. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you first about that. Yeah. Um, you know, just, I just finished my board, you know, this past week and, um, you know, it's a super long process to go through all these guys and, uh, some of the smaller school guys that are kind of on some guys, you know, the team's radars, you know, it's really hard to find, 
tape of them to, to watch and break down. So, um, putting it together is definitely a challenge, but it's something that I thoroughly enjoy, um, you know, throughout my, my years of doing the rankings. Um, I think this is probably in my opinion, the best that I've done just as far as building it with the players who I truly think deserve to be on it. Um, you know, I put grades on 369 prospects and a total of 271 of them I consider have a, a draftable grade. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely proud of what went into it. Um, definitely went a little bit more in depth as far as, you know, taking into account, you know, guys with documented injury history, you know, there's a number of guys. And if people saw it on you know your Facebook page, you know, on the board, they're highlighted in yellow. Those players are currently dealing with an injury or have had an extensive injury history in the past. And then the guys that are highlighted in red have documented off the field issues. So that doesn't really affect my grading per se at all on them. Uh, they're just kind of flags. Uh, I know for some teams, you know, they, it does affect the grading based on maybe their character concerns or, uh, they don't meet their medical requirements by a specific team, but, um, definitely went a little bit further with that. And I'm was glad to add that element to my board this year. So you said 364 players made the board this year, correct? Uh, well, total that I graded, I have a section on the board for um, free agents, whether they're priority considered priority free agents or just undrafted free agents to fill up your roster. Um, I had 369 total players, including the non-draft, the undrafted free agents, and then uh, 271 would be considered uh, a draftable player. Okay. So, and the reason, the, ultimately why I asked that question first, I just want to start with how many hours of film do you watch to compile that board? Well, it's, I tell you, it's, it's not as much as I would like to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'm going to use this, uh, this question here to kind of vent for a moment. Um, the, the film from colleges are owned by the colleges and the NFL. Um, so they're not easily accessible to the public, which I think is a real shame. Um, you know, you have a lot of analysts at all these networks that post videos of film, you know, clips of film. And so they obviously have access to it, but it's so hard for the general public. Like, you know, there's so many like black market internet sites and people that you deal with to like go to, to try to get film. And a lot of it, it works a lot of the time. Um, so we're able to get at least a game from a lot of different schools, but, um, you know, ESPN that broadcasts all these games, they have the all 22, the sideline footage, and they have the end zone cam. Why they don't make that, you know, accessible to the public that, you know, maybe it gets a player some more notoriety. Maybe it helps people that are wanting to get into scouting or get into coaching or just want to learn more about the game in general, or maybe learn more about their team in general. You know, maybe it helps them a little bit by being able to watch that film. Um, but, but yeah, to, to fully answer your question, uh, as I digress, um, a lot of, a lot of hours, uh, 
you know, kind of start during, during the season, you know, try to, you know, get some guys pegged down as far as guys that I know are going to be coming out, whether they're juniors or seniors that are going to be looked at at the top of the class. And then, um, kind of after the, the conference title games, so like late November, early December is kind of when I really put my head down and start getting going on a lot of guys. Yeah, awesome stuff. And, you know, the work shows, you know, show, you know, the, the board itself, you know, I, I like I said, it's on our Facebook. I know it's on your Facebook, but just the work that you put into this is incredible. So first, I do want to ask, you know, as we get into the, the draft here and the draft conversation, who was your highest graded player of this this draft season? Yeah, my, my number one overall prospect is Kyle Hamilton, uh, safety from Notre Dame. Um, you know, I haven't. So the, the grading scale that I use is the NFS, uh, National Football Scouting grading scale. Uh, it's a it's a one to eight scale. And, you know, the NFS is a scouting service. So uh, two thirds of the teams in the NFL are subscribed to them. And, you know, I utilize their grading scale for my board and the top number that you can give someone is an 8.0. So that top range is a 7.7 to an 8.0. And that is considered a rare prospect. Um, I gave Kyle Hamilton a 7.8. So he's in that rare category. It's a grade that I haven't given out to a lot of prospects over my five years of doing my board, but he just, he fits the mold. Um, he's going to be a super high impact guy. He's got such a unique blend of traits and characteristics. I mean, he's six foot four, 220 pounds as a, as a safety. I mean, that size, the size alone is rare, but then you get into what he can do uh, from an alignment standpoint, you know, I think he can align from a two high, from a single high, and come down into the box and run support. Um, if there's a bigger guy in the slot, as far as a tight end, maybe split out, I think he can come down into the slot and cover man to man coverage. Um, you know, get near the line of scrimmage and blitz in some instances. You know, he's got the physicality and the the quickness to do that. And really, I mean, he's just. He's just old school. I mean, he's an intimidator. I mean, how many receivers are going to want to go over the middle and you know that there's a six foot four, 220 pound guy who's super physical, um, plays the ball really well. He's a good tackler in space. I mean, he has so many good traits and um, it was really a no brainer for me, honestly, to you know rank him uh, number one on my board. But that doesn't necessarily, and I, and I I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask for our listeners. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the top pick taken this year correct correct yep i um i base it just based on who i think the best prospect is now i think aiden hutchinson is going first overall uh edge rusher from michigan um i really like him as a prospect too um i got him ranked just a tad below that as at a 7.6 you know he's falls more into that superior category than into that rare category for me uh, I have Aiden as my fourth overall prospect, but you know, like I said, I expect him to go to go number one overall. So that transitions us here, and you know, taking a look through the board, um, you know, how many prospects do you have in that that first round, you know, elite grade? 
Yeah, this year was actually a, a low as far as guys with a grade that would warrant kind of like that first round category. So um, I actually only have 18 players that are a, a 7.0 or above, which would kind of fall in that round one. And what that round one is, so the NFS scale has numbers you know, 7.0 to 7.2, which is considered an immediate solid starter. So that player is going to come in, he's going to start right away, and you know he's going to give you exceptional play on the field. The 7.3 to 7.6 category, still in that round one, is going to be an immediate impact starter. So he's going to come in and he's going to make an immediate impact. Like you are going to see his play on the field. Like you are going to feel his presence on the field. If you're a fan of that team and you're watching, you're going to know that that player is on the field and that you didn't have him last year. Like he's going to come in and make that impact. And then the top category, as I already mentioned, is a 7.7 to 8.0, which is rare. So I have two players actually in that rare category, uh, Ahmad Garner or Sauce Gardner, uh, as a lot of people know him as. Uh, cornerback from Cincinnati is also in that rare category for me, just with his size, uh, overall length, the athleticism that he has at the cornerback position with that size, uh, physicality at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he can do so many different things, which is why I put him in that rare, rare category also. Um, but yeah, I only have 18 players that fall into those categories that I mentioned. So that, that leads us to talking about the most talked about position that really, you know, truthfully, not a lot, not that high first round value, but we know some of these guys are going to go high first round, that being the quarterback position. Um, looks mm-hmm. like if I can, if I'm reading this correctly, three guys making your round two grade, uh, that being Matt Cora or Matt Coral, Kenny Pickett, and Malik Willis. So I guess I wanted to kind of, you know, this is where it all, you know, every team kind of starts with that franchise quarterback. And correct me if I'm wrong, no really franchise guys out there in this draft. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, you know, that's why I don't have, you know, any quarterbacks going or with a first round grade. I know they're going to get drafted in the first round. Quarterbacks are always overdrafted just because you need them. You need them to be successful in this league. And everybody is searching for that guy that can come in and do it. And, you know, when I'm looking at it and I look at my grading scale and I look at, you know, is this guy going to come in and be a solid starter is he going to come in and be an impact starter an immediate impact rare starter and i just don't see that with any of the quarterbacks in this class i think matt corral is the closest thing to it um that's why i have him graded you know slightly above pickett and willis and you know i just i look at uh, matt corral and you know he competes really hard he plays with a lot of confidence. I thought his you know, processing and decision-making really improved in 2021. And then, you know, his release quickness, I think has improved also. I think his arm strength is really good for his size. I mean, he's six foot 200. So he's a touch on the smaller side compared to like a guy like Pickett, who's six, three two seventeen. Like that's, that's really ideal size that Pickett has. And even Willis also, I mean, he's 6'1", 220. He's got a really thick lower half. But um, you know, Cor- Corral is just as far as, like I mentioned, the processing, the, the 
impressive release that he has. He can throw with touch, throws with anticipation. The the thing with him is that he plays super reckless with his body as far as, you know, running and not sliding. He takes a lot of hits. He'll try to, um, you know, kind of extend plays when he really shouldn't. He should kind of just eat it and live to fight another day. Um, you know, the possible injury concerns in the future, the durability long-term is kind of, um, you know, a, a question with how he plays. So I'll kind of have to hone that in, but, um, you know, stacking wise and grading wise, he was kind of, um, easy for me to put at number one in the quarterback class. So I guess I'm, I'm going to kind of transition that you think he would be the best pro based on the scouting system. Do you think it, how, how important do you think fit is for most of these quarterbacks considering they don't have that elite talent? Oh, it's, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. I mean, um, you know, you, I look back at last year's class and, you know, from a trait and evaluation perspective, you know, Trevor Lawrence should have had the best year out of any rookie last year, but you know, I could argue that, you know, Mac, Mac Jones definitely had a better year. Um, when Justin Fields got time playing, I could argue that he had a better year also, but I wouldn't, you know, grade either of them even close to what I graded Trevor Lawrence had. So, you know, fit is so important. Um, you know, p- being put in a system that allows you to do the things that you do well. And for Trevor Lawrence, you know, he did so much of, uh, you know, RPO at Clemson and Jacksonville didn't do a ton of that last year. Um, so I think this year is we're really going to see what a guy like Trevor Lawrence can do. Uh, I think Doug Peterson's going to come in and he's going to create an offense around Trevor that does the things or helps Trevor do the things that he does best. And, um, so to that point, you know, fit, fit is everything, obviously having good talent around you, you know, if your offensive line isn't any good and you don't have time to throw the football and you don't have valuable targets on the outside to throw to, then yeah, you know, you're, you're going to struggle. So fit is absolutely everything at the quarterback position, which leads us to the next part here. So, Kind of tr- with looking at a kind of like a Packers lens, we have I mean a, a guy who maybe had gotten overdrafted and some you know we can compare with Jordan Love and you know after Rogers signed his extension, which I know I'm I'm sure you're a big fan of um, the extension. Where what do you think the Jordan Love role should be? Do you think it's expendable where maybe they can try to shop a team who isn't really sold on these draft picks as quarterbacks or? What, where do you see Jordan Love compared to this year's quarterback prospects? Sure. So I went back and looked at my grades when in 2020, when Jordan Love was coming out and I gave him a 6.6, which is also what I have Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis graded at. And if I had to stack the three of them, uh, I would put Jordan Love above above Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. Um, you know, just thinking back to that film from college coming out of Nevada, I liked a lot of the things that Jordan Love did, but the the thing with him now is that, you know, with these guys, you don't have NFL tape on them yet. Where with Jordan Love, you have 
numerous games of NFL tape on him now. So, you know, are there, are there teams that are going to say, okay, I need a quarterback and I have seen this guy play in the NFL. So I can see what he can do. I see what he struggles with. I see how he competes versus NFL competition. Where with these guys, it's a projection. What is he going to look like against NFL competition? You know, a guy like Matt Correll played in the SEC. He's faced a lot of guys who are going to be, you know, in the NFL, but he's not playing NFL defenses. I don't care. People always talk about, you know, taking Alabama and playing the worst team in the NFL. Alabama would lose. I, I will go to my grave thinking that anytime. But, you know, are these guys NFL ready now or am I going to take a guy who's I've seen play in the NFL? You know, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act. So, you know, there's a couple, you know, teams out looking for a quarterback like a Pittsburgh Steelers or Carolina Panthers who may be looking at drafting one of these guys. So, you know, for them, if they were maybe interested in Jordan love, you know, like I said, you have to weigh the fact, okay, am I going to go with, betting on a draft pick and I am betting and hoping and paying all this money because I think he's going to hit that projection that I have for him. Or am I going to maybe make a run at a guy like Jordan love who I've seen play? I know what he can do versus the NFL and I know what he needs to improve. And I am going to trust my coach to help him improve that. And he can take us to where we need him to go. It's a, it's an interesting situation. Um, you know, for a lot of teams that are in search of a quarterback right now. So kind of that small school guy, I mean, in a lot of ways, and a guy who really shot up draft boards throughout the year has been Malik Willis. And I guess I want to ask you, from a scouting perspective, what makes Malik Willis that that sought-after talent that a lot of teams are looking for or that has really shot him up draft boards? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just the the wow plays that he makes. I mean... He is kind of the definition of a dual threat. Um, he has extended so many plays from within the pocket and then outside of the pocket. Plays that really shouldn't happen. You know, there's so many times where it looks like he's bottled up and he escapes, um, you know, has such great elusiveness. But then, you know, he's he's a he's not a big guy as far as height, but, I mean, he's 220 pounds, his thickness in the lower half is you know tremendous for a guy his size and i think he's able to take contact in the pocket very similarly to what ben roethlisberger did back in his early days in pittsburgh um i think he's able to pace his releases i think he's able to recognize coverages um you know he can drive on throws he has really good arm strength to throw into tight windows or to throw it down the field um, works through his progressions well. You know, he he does a lot of things really well from a trait perspective. Now, there's a lot of things that I think need to be cleaned up, you know, as far as dropping his eyes when the rush is coming. Um, you know, he has a lot of opportunities to make on-time, on-schedule throws that he just doesn't pull the trigger on. Um, you know, I think you know, a good scout always looks at what a player can do versus what a player can't do. And trait wise and some of the plays that he's put on film, there's a lot to like with him. So I think that's kind of the reason that he's 
kind of climbed up a lot of boards this year and you know there's definitely some things to work with and like with a lot of these young quarterbacks there's you know a lot of things to work on also yeah definitely so I guess I'm, I'm going to ask you just uh, while we talk about quarterbacks, I know Justin's kind of been on the hot on this one of perhaps Green Bay looking at another developmental quarterback late in the draft. Do you have any eyes on somebody you'd like to see in Green Bay or that would even make sense for Green Bay, given the situation that they have in the locker room right now? Or should Green Bay stay clear of that? Um, I think quarterback honestly needs to be the furthest thing from their minds at this point. Um you know, you got the back-to-back now four-time MVP in-house and locked up for at least another three years. Um, you got a guy that you spent the first-round grade on, so you must have pretty good faith in him as a backup. And I, I've liked a lot of stuff that I've seen from Kurt Benkert in preseason also. So I think he had three you know, decent options. Um, you know, while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, and you know, this may be a uh, – an out there statement, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I think underratedly, I think Carson strong from Nevada is arguably the most talented quarterback in the class. Um, just the consistency and production that he has produced. He's a team captain. Uh, his coaches, teammates absolutely love him. Took good care of the football. Um, he was able to make, splash throws he's able to throw off platform um really good ability to throw with speed when he has to fit it in there where he can throw with touch over the top um he can throw from different arm angles um he can throw receivers open he does so many good things but the thing with him is that he has a super long injury history which i think is gonna you know make him fall down people's boards that's why i didn't have him necessarily ranked as high as I felt about him when I got done watching some, some tape and some footage on him. Um, but you know, that was, that's kind of one guy that I just wanted to highlight at the quarterback position. Cause I think my opinion of him is probably a little bit higher than a lot of other people's are. Um, but yeah, as far as the Packers go, I, I don't think they need to even explore looking at a quarterback at this point. I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I, I guess I'm, I, that leads me to two things here. So I guess I'm going to go. Um, I first want to ask you about Carson Strong. So I guess I, when you have someone, is it really just the injury history that makes him kind of? I mean, looking at the board right now, he's a mid round three grade for you, with that yellow highlight for the injury history. So is that really that much of a damper on it, or what is it that leads him to be the most talented, but also you know, below three other guys? Yeah, like the the injuries are definitely the main thing for sure. I mean, he's got, you know, trait mechanical type things to work on like anybody else does, but he's had multiple surgeries on his right knee. Um, the mobility necessarily isn't really there anymore because of that. Um, but then there are additional things as far as reading the rush um, pre-snap, post-snap. And I don't know how they work things at Nevada if he's responsible for calling out the protection or not, but they had a lot of protection issues. And when pressure came, he had a tendency to drop his eyes. Um, I think he can do a better job as far as reading the entire field. I think there's times where he's stuck on half field reads or he's stuck on his high, low read. Uh, he's stuck on read number one in the progression. Um, 
there's times where he doesn't look off safeties where he's, he's looking at his guy and that can lead to some, um, you know, balls get into precarious situations. So, you know, there's trait things to work on with him for sure. Just like anyone else, but the, the medical is uh, a big concern. Obviously I don't know because, you know, I, am not in the school to know what's going on. And all these teams have so much more information with, you know, what the medical exam happens at the combine. They get a lot of info from that, that people like me don't get. Um, but stuff that I've read and that I've heard about, um, the, the medical past as far as his knees are, are quite a concern. And then my other question that you kind of brought up, Kurt Bankert, I, I, you know, we've talked so much about Jordan Love. Obviously, we know Aaron Rodgers MVP. We talk about Jordan Love because he has that first round draft pick, and, and you know, not his fault by any stretch of the imagination, but his draft selection did, you know, kind of create a lot of the, um, you know, some of the tension that we've seen over the last two year, two off seasons or two and a half off seasons, really in Green Bay, and and he's going to be held to a higher standard, like it or not, you know, just because of that and being a first-round draft pick. so But we don't really – we never really haven't talked about Kurt Bankert. Um, you know, really not a whole lot to see in the NFL. I think his only NFL snaps – I think he had two this year where he had two kneel downs at the end of the Minnesota game uh, when Jordan Love had COVID. Um, but I guess I just want to ask, you know, as a development third guy who's basically your practice squad guy, what do you see in Kurt Bankert? Yeah, I think he's a he's a great guy to have in the room. Um, you know, a lot of the guys on the team love him as far as being a fit in the locker room. Um, you know, he's very highly regarded as a as a teammate, which is great. And then from a player perspective, you know, he has really been, you know, groomed in a very quarterback friendly system. You know, he was in Atlanta uh, under Matt Ryan when he first initially came into the league. And now he's obviously been in green Bay under Aaron Rodgers and in LaFleur's system. And you know, something I like from the preseason, I mean, you know, he's, he's got the arm strength to drive the ball into tight windows. I think he reads and reacts to what's going on around him very quickly. Um, you know, he may not have that you know, wow arm strength where you can throw the ball 75 yards down the field. Um, but you know, there's, there's so much more that I would love to see from him because, you know, going back and evaluating last year in the preseason, I think the Packers were just very vanilla as far as, you know, concepts that they were running from a route perspective. Uh, it was a lot of predetermined, you know, out routes or curls or you know, slants or design screens, whatever it was. I didn't think you really, you know, if you're Kurt Benkert, I don't think you really necessarily got to pull your, put your full, you know, repertoire on display last year in the preseason. So, um, there's a lot of traits to like for sure. Um, I can't really dive into stuff that I don't like, cause I don't think he's really been asked to do enough to where you can, you know, critically grade him um, based on what he's done on the field. But I think he's, I think he's a great guy, a great third guy to have in the room. Um, you know, a guy that, you know, if you're not going to carry him on your active roster, he's a hell of a guy to be, you know, on the practice squad and running scout team for your defenses during the week. And that leads us to the Packers conversation and, and kind of the main event here. So first, 
I want to ask you from just as a fan or even analytically speaking here, Mason, if you had to rank the Packers draft needs, how would you rank them? Yeah, it's funny. Yes. I actually just finished my team needs board today. Um, for, so I had put the needs of, I evaluate each roster and kind of rank from a primary need to a secondary need to, a. You know, they don't really need it, but, you know, if they want to add some depth, you know, that'd be good. And then to a don't need. So um, as the primary needs for the Packers, wide receiver is number one. Uh, offensive tackle, I would put at the second. And then an edge uh, rusher, edge defender would be uh, number three in my prim- primary needs for the Packers. And then how, I guess, just let's finish the list. What do you got the rest? Sure. Then I have a defensive line and interior offensive line kind of in that secondary need category. And then from uh, in the third category, as far as, you know, don't necessarily need it for sure, but, you know, it'd be nice to maybe add some depth. Um, then I have linebackers, safeties, tight ends, and corners. And then I have running backs and quarterbacks in that don't need category. Fantastic. So guess you know, every every draft, you know, it's so impossible to predict because there's so many different things that can happen. And I know last year we had just a bitch of a time trying to nail you down to a prediction. So I'm not going to do that here quite yet. But I, I want to go, I guess, it, you know, talking wide receiver, right? You know, I think that's everyone can kind of agree that the eye test says that that's the biggest need. Your board says it's the biggest need. Let's break down the guys who, pro- I mean, there's going to be some guys who probably gone. Drake London probably being that primary example, but... Let's just say because we have two first-round draft picks, maybe the Packers go crazy and, and trade up. So let's go through these these prospects and how you have them broke down on the board. Sure. So, you know, against popular opinion, I actually have Traylon Burks as my number one uh, wide receiver on the board. Um, 6'2", 225, a really good build for a wide receiver with that speed ratio to go along with it. Um, really big hands. Uh, he's, you know, rare rate weight room power. You know, I've heard he's from stuff I've heard. He's just a, a gym rat, which you love to see. Um, so with that size, you know, he creates a mismatch for, you know, against a lot of corners, um, playing at Arkansas and, you know, playing against really good competition in the sec, you know, he, there wasn't a really big threat at the wide receiver position opposite him. So he was double covered a lot. There was a lot of coverage shaded his way. Um, and he still produced, you know, pretty incredibly, um, with how much double coverage and shaded coverage that he saw. Um, I think he's really good in his releases, which I think overall, I think releases are kind of what, receivers need to develop the most coming from college to the pros is, you know, evading contact and evading reroutes in the route stem. And I think he does a really good job with that. Um, really smooth for his size. He runs really good routes. He understands leverage. He can read the coverages, really big catch radius, um, really good body control to adjust to catches coming in. You know, he, He's not a burner by any sense. Like he's not going to run a four to 40 yard dash or anything, but 
you know, when he really needs to push it down the field, I think he has that, you know, that second gear to really, um, you know, kick it into high gear and get his way down the field. Um, really good, you know, as far as putting his body on the line, you know, he's really, really tough as far as going over the middle and catching it and taking hits. You know, there's some things that, you know, need to be improved by him as far as that consistency and contested catch situations. But, you know, he's willing to put his body in there, which you love to see from wide receiver. Um, would love to see him come down with some more 50-50 balls. Um, the slowing into his breaks are a little concerning also. Um, there's times where it takes him quite a bit to throttle down. You would like to see a little bit more efficiency in and out of his cuts. But, you know, there's so much to like about him. So, you know, I had a 7.5 grade on him, which puts him in that, superior category a guy that can come in and make an instant impact so then just kind of going down the list i mean garrett wilson uh chris olave drake london that's your for guys with first round grades uh guys probably probably going to go in the first round uh john dotson christian watson all guy uh jail or even george pickens jalen tolbert guys who could end up in green bay according to a lot of mock drafts so just kind of going down that list of guys i, I guess i'll first ask you know just if you wanted to go through anybody individually first, just kind of highlight them. But given Green Bay, you know, where they are roster-wise, who do you think is the best fit? You know, we talk about fit. Who would be that best fit in Green Bay with the way the roster currently is? Yeah, so when I look at the roster currently, um, you know, there's there's a glaring hole, essentially, is that big x receiver so you know the the guy with size that you can put out there and win on the outside and because right now you look at it and you have an amari rogers or randall cobb like you have some smaller statured quick twitch type guys you need that big x receiver that you can put out at split and on the line of scrimmage that can go up and win 50, 50 balls and can stretch the field and can do all these different things that you ask an X receiver to do. And, you know, just looking at the film and looking at measurables and all that sort of stuff. I think Drake London is probably the best fit, um, you know, junior from USC six, four, two um, that that's elite size for wide receiver positions. So I think, he plays the game the right way. Uh, he's played outside. He's played in the slot. So if you are looking for someone that has some versatility, he's shown that he can do that already. Um, I think he's really, really good at working through pressure at the line of scrimmage. So again, that release pattern that I mentioned before, he's done a really good job working through contact at the line of scrimmage, crossing face and getting inside guys, even when they have inside leverage. Um, is, is something that I really liked that I saw from him. Um, he understands coverages as he's working downfield. He is really, really tight with his cuts. Uh, he takes control of the catch space. I mean, you know, he's physically imposing. So a ball is coming in, that ball is his. He puts his body in a really good position where it's his ball or no one's. You know, he can create space. He can find the deep ball over his shoulder. He can track the ball coming in. He's got good speed and physicality to produce after the catch. Um, some things that I would like to see improved 
would be overall foot quickness out of his release. So, you know, it's one thing to overpower guys physically at the line of scrimmage, but you get into the league and more guys are maybe starting to press you. And, you know, you'd think of a really physical corner, like a Jalen Ramsey, you know, maybe your physicality isn't enough to beat him at the line of scrimmage. So you have to develop some foot quickness. So I would like to see some improvement there. Um, I think overall though, top to bottom, you know, he would be kind of that big outside guy that the Packers are lacking on their roster right now. So another name that very, very popular on Packer mock drafts and, uh, and myself included, I think a lot of guys keep pointing to is Chris Olave. What does Chris Olave bring to a team? Yeah, he's dynamic. He's really dynamic. He's six foot, one eighty-seven. So, again, he's he's a little bit on the smaller side, but he is just so smooth in his movements. Um, he's able to evade contact at the line of scrimmage with his quickness. Um, some of the releases that he has are just flat out ridiculous. Like he makes some corners look absolutely silly. Um, really, really smooth route runner. I think. You know his movement during the route stem. You know he can make subtle movements to sell routes. Um, he's got the burst in and out of his break. Uh, tracks the ball super super well. Um, he leaps up and adjusts to catches with ease. Ball skills are fantastic um, as far as tracking the ball over the shoulder. Um, he has done very well in the scramble drill, which is something that I like to see for sure because it's it's hard to find those receivers that you know can work and find space in the open field when the play breaks down but he's done that really well um some things that you know are a little bit concerning just with his size is that he doesn't have that physicality so you know the play strength necessarily isn't there if he is contacted at the break point or if he's asked if you know if he's playing in the slot you're asked to be a blocker in run situations a lot so you know with that lack of physicality his fit there isn't necessarily the greatest um you know i would like to see him also work back to throws a little bit you know he does a great job at creating the separation out of his break but then, you know, continue to work back to the football and don't let the defender come and make a play on it. I think, you know, he can improve on that. But the traits are all there, athletically speaking. You got the speed, you got the agility, you got the change of direction, has the balance. I mean, he's got everything that you're looking for. So um, he would look extremely good in green and gold in the fall. I can assure you that. So, I mean, Mason, we haven't talked since the uh, the move that gave the Packers that extra draft pick. And, the reason maybe why wide receiver is such a big need. Uh, so first I want to ask your takes on the whole Devonte Adams situation, how it ended up playing out. Yeah, obviously um, really disappointing to see a, a player of that caliber go. Um, disappointing, you know, to see that quality of a person go. Um, but, but really, you know, just looking at it logically, if, Devontae Adams didn't want to be here. You know, there was no point in playing it out. You know, I've seen, I saw a lot of people react to it and 
obviously bashing the organization for trading away, you know, the second best player on the team. Um, but you know, I, I understand. I mean, it's, it's, it's business. I mean, you look at what the alternative could have been is, you know, they could have kept him on the roster, you know, through this entire time, through the summer up until camp. And, you know, now you have a guy on your roster and maybe you haven't added to the wide receiver room like you should have, because maybe you thought you were going to be able to get him to play. And he turns out not playing in the fall. And now you're kind of stuck with a guy on your roster and he doesn't want to play for you. So, you know, like I said, disappointing to lose a player of that caliber, but um, you know, if you can get a first round pick and, you know, maybe parlay that into a guy that can be a suitable replacement, maybe grow into a Devonte Adams type in the future, then, you know, that was probably the best way to go. Um, but obviously for them to make a move, they obviously felt like it wasn't going to come to a good conclusion for the organization as far as him suiting up and playing and wanting to be here. So, you know, they made the move and, um, they got to stand by it. And if the situation is what it seems, then, you know, I, I support the move. Um, you got to have guys that are wanting to play here. And uh, if, if he didn't want to, if he didn't want to take the money that the Packers were offering, I don't know what all the situation was, um, but it seems like it was kind of the best outcome for both parties. Yeah, definitely. And then, so maybe, maybe you touched on it, maybe you didn't, but I do want to ask, you know, between all these guys, and I know, you know, in a way you're trying to fill that role with Devonta Adams being gone, but you know, truthfully, there's not going to be another Devonta Adams. You know, there's he's one of a kind. So mm-hmm. with that, do you think one of the guys that you've already mentioned is the closest comparison to him, or do you think there's a different guy that maybe is a closer comparison to the player that he is, not necessarily the role that he fit? Yeah, it's it's so tough. Um, just because of, you know, you look at where Devante was when he came out of college to where he is now. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable how much he improved over the years and particularly it was his release pattern. And I've, I've touched on that a couple of times already, you know, release patterns are something that I think are very underdeveloped you know, starting at the high school level, you know, I, I played wide receiver in high school and this is no knock on my, you know, wide receiver coach. I love him to death. He's one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. But, you know, and a lot of that is because high school, you know, you, you tend to run the ball a lot, so you don't really have to put the focus on release patterns, but even in college, I mean, a lot of guys that you evaluate, the release patterns are just undefined you know they're they're underdeveloped they're not crisp they they don't have a purpose necessarily you see how Devonte adams sets up guys whether it's a guy playing him with inside leverage and he wants to win inside like a great video that went viral was you know, on the goal line against chicago this last year where the corner had inside leverage and Devonte kind of you know he shimmies a little bit at the line. He takes an in out in type release and then kind of looks like he's going to go towards a fade. And then he you know, plants that outside foot in the ground and cuts back across face. Like that is special. Like a release like that is special. 
Um, the Baltimore game, another great example. He had two guys over the top of him, um, a guy outside leverage, and he was running an out route. And his release still helped him win outside, and it resulted in a touchdown. Like That is extremely special, and there is no one that I've seen on tape in this class, let alone in the entire NFL that has close to the release pattern that Devonte Adams has. So that alone kind of makes it hard to compare because getting off the line of scrimmage is obviously super important because it sets up the entire route. Um, but there's guys that are in this class that are immensely talented. Um, you know, I got nine guys with grades in the first two rounds. Um, you know, the the Packers, if they spend one of their top four picks on receiver, if they spend two of their top four picks on receiver, you know, odds are they're going to get a pretty damn quality receiver that's going to be able to come in and, you know, start to develop in the NFL. And um, I wish I had a better answer as far as comparing to Devontae Adams, but it's hard to compare anyone uh, that's even in the league right now to Devontae Adams. He's kind of on a whole nother level. I guess that's a that's a very. I'm glad you kind of answered it that way because I was kind of thinking that would be the case. Um, I, so I guess you know we kind of already talked about who is going to fit that role, just the 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 gap that he had left, and maybe it's not just one guy, maybe it's two, as you kind of mentioned. With is such a you know this is such a deep wide receiver class. Do you think it's a failure if the Green Bay Packers don't come out of this draft with two or more wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say for sure because, you know, at the same time, there's still some quality free agent wide receivers out in the market also. So, you know, they could they could draft one receiver. Maybe they draft him in the first round, maybe in the second, whatever it is. And post-draft, you can say, oh, well, okay, they only got one wide receiver, but then you know, the next week, maybe they acquire a Jarvis Landry or they bring in uh, a Will Fuller or, you know, just there's multiple guys out there. So it's it's hard to say for sure as far as what's going to be a success and what's a failure because you never know how a, a prospect is going to play out. But um, with the quality of receivers there are at the top of this class, um, you know, I would think that they got to be looking to – snag two of them um you know with their top you know their four picks in the top 59 um you know if they really like someone that they don't think they can get maybe they use one of the picks to trade up and get him if they think he's going to be that big of a difference maker so it's interesting to see obviously we don't know what their plans would be as far as possibly bringing in a free agent off the street but you know they can't go wrong with picking any of the guys that are gonna come off the board here in the you know the top two three rounds. And that kind of leads us to you know the the wide receivers that are out there, free agents, trade, etc. Uh, last week, bringing in Sammy Watkins, I want to ask you your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, unfortunately, he's just struggled with. You know injuries over the the past couple of years. I think he missed seven games. Big yellow this past highlight. Year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Um, you know, you, you go back and you watch some of the tape from Kansas City, so his previous stop, and there were flashes where it's like, "Damn, dude! Like 
this guy's this guy's burner. He still has it. He's versatile as far as in the slot or outside. I, I love that Run breakdown, by the way. Just, the, just all you all you guys said, damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, he was he was picked in the top ten for a reason, and I feel like the best way to describe it is like he's not a bust. Like I don't think he's been a bust, but I don't. I just don't think you haven't consistently seen what he's been capable of and there's flashes of it there's a ton of flashes of you go watch him on film but you know i think injuries have hindered that a little bit maybe it's quarterback play i mean he was in buffalo prior to josh allen being there um you know in kansas city they had you know tyreek hill and nicole hardman and travis kelsey Man, they had a lot of other guys to throw I mean, he was probably the fifth then, option at that time and that's that's no knock on him. Yeah. That's just—I mean—that's just the reality. He was getting six, seven hundred yards a season, being the fifth option or fourth option, exactly. depending on the day. Exactly. And then this past year in Baltimore, you know, uh, they had quarterback injury issues. He had his own injury issues. So it's—it's it's hard to you know know for sure what you're going to get. But the the traits, I think. I mean. You look at age-wise, and you know, athletically speaking, he's probably past his quote-unquote prime, but his traits are still pretty damn good as far as you know his overall speed and his change of direction ability, ability to run routes. And a guy who's that, you know, who's been in the league for so long, you know, he's got a good feel in coverage. He understands route con- or uh, coverage concepts. I mean, you know, he's gonna. He's going to come in. And he's going to be a smart dude. Um, so I think if you you pair a guy like that with Aaron Rodgers and in this offense, I think um, you know he can be a guy that can can produce uh, for the Packers this upcoming season. So ultimately, just to summarize, Sammy Watkins is a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get, but it's probably going to be pretty good. That's a good way to put it, man. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have said it. Couldn't have said it any better. I've been thinking about that one for a little bit now. Um, but so I, I guess just to kind of transition there and, you know, we talk, we can talk wide receiver. We could probably talk wide receiver all night. Um, but just to kind of some of the other positions of need, you said offensive tackle kind of also in that second need position. I mean, we know Bakhtiari, he played the Detroit game, not play the playoff game should be, you know, all things considered pretty healthy. Um, Elton Jenkins, while he's playing a guard, you know, in ideal situations, you know, he tore the ACL at the middle slash late point of the season. So, you know, only God knows how long he's going to be out for yet. Um, and then, you know, releasing Billy Turner for cap. I, I guess I want to ask, you know, looking at tackle, who is that guy that you maybe, you know, start, you know, start targeting or some of those higher end guys in this draft? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because I, when I was, Putting when I was kind of ranking, when I was going through the roster and I'm ranking, you know, positions of need, you know, so much of it depends on what they may do with, you know, the interior offensive line and tackle positions. Because, you know, when Bacteria was out this past year, you know, Yash Nyman did a pretty damn good job in games that he was in there. So, you know, do they see him possibly as a viable option to move over to right tackle? Um, you know, if you had him and Bakhtiari at the tackle positions, okay, well now, 
you know, as you mentioned, Elton Jenkins tours ACL in mid November. Um, I would assume, you know, the offensive linemen always take a little bit longer. It seems like to come back from that. So you, you assume at least, you know, at least the start of the season, I would assume would he'd be missed, um, for the few first few games, I would think. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's so hard to put the Packer or, you know, offensive linemen at the top of needs for the Packers because, you know, they've spent so much draft capital on offensive linemen over the past few years. I mean, they spent three draft picks on offensive linemen in 2020 and they spent three last year also. And, you know, I think Myers, the center, he's going to be a, a good um, you know, long-term option at center. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Unlike this past year, uh, Runyon has been phenomenal when he's been in there. So I think he's going to be a mainstay um, on the offensive line. Uh, Royce Newman, I thought, really struggled this past year um, when he was in there. And I think that's why you kind of saw the shuffle in the playoffs when, uh, or late in the season when, when he was not in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do, but you know, if they want to keep Nyman X, if they see him as kind of that backup swing type tackle and they're looking into drafting one this year, you know, there's certainly options. Um, Evan Neal and, you know, Akeem Ekwanu are going to be gone. Um, you know, those are going to be two guys that possibly go in the top 10, um, you know, if you're looking, maybe they do spend one of their first rounders on a tackle. You know, maybe you're looking at a guy like Charles Cross from Mississippi State or uh, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Um, Daniel uh, Faali from Minnesota are a couple other guys who have really, really good size uh, and athleticism at the tackle position. So, you know, they're going to have options for sure. Uh, but it's really just interesting to see what their thinking is as far as what they're going to do with Yash Nyman. And who's to say, too, that they don't play Elton Jenkins at right tackle when he comes back? You know, if they feel comfortable with Runyon at left guard, which, like I said, he's been fantastic at left guard. You know, Elton Jenkins has played, you know, right tackle before, and he's done a really damn good job with it. So, um that's not out of the realm of possibilities for sure. I think he's better suited to play guard just with the, um, you know, the traits that he has, his ability to pull, his ability, you know, just his, his size and his strength um, is really valuable at the guard position. But, um, you know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possi- possibilities. So it'll be interesting to see what they ultimately decide to do at that position. Yeah, definitely. And and just kind of going, you said edge was the other primary main need. Uh, lots of edge early on in this draft uh, at the top portion. Um, you know, obviously guys, you know, Hutchinson and Thibodeau, those guys are long gone before Green Bay would even think about picking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to ask ultimately here, you know, as we look at um, guys that Green Bay realistically could go and land, at that edge position, you know, kind of looking at some of these drafts, you know, uh, George is a Carlaftis from Purdue. Uh, he's one that's kind of bounced around and, you know, he can kind of bounce around in mock drafts, depending on where you're looking. Um, mm-hmm. 
Nicobe Dean, while he's mostly known as an interior linebacker, he probably could play that outer role. Uh, some of these other guys that could fall into that you know late twenties area that could be that high priority type pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you bring up Nicobe Dean. I've I've seen some people talk about him playing the edge. I just I don't see it. I mean, he's he's five eleven, two twenty nine. I think he's you know, way too small to play on the edge, especially in a three, four. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, Carl Aftis, George Carl Aftis, I've like had to say that name a million times just to actually get it right. Um, you know, he's a edge guy from Purdue, six, four, two sixty six. So he's a really big guy, um, with how big he is. Um, his athleticism is, is pretty special. Um, really, really broad shoulders. I mean, he has a really wide frame. So, you know, you're looking for that guy to set the edge in the run game. Um, you know, he's got the frame to be able to really keep that outside shoulder free and set an edge, which, which is awesome. Um, just super physical, super physical. I mean, he'll, he'll take on anybody. He'll take on pullers. He'll, you know, undercut guys, uh, not afraid to take on anyone. Uh, his hands, his hips, all super explosive. Um, you know, he uses his punch incredibly well. Um, he can long arm, he can rip back inside. Um, he can do so many different things from the edge position. So he's definitely a guy that, you know, well, I don't know if he'll go in, in round one. Um, I'm just, I'm super impressed with the edge position as a whole, particularly up top, you know, they're the top, top seven, top eight, particularly on my board are guys that, you know, I think are going to be really damn good, you know, edge guys in the league. Um, one to watch though is, uh, David Ojabo from Michigan. He is a redshirt sophomore. So he's a younger guy, six, four, two fifty. His film is incredibly fun to watch. Um, he can do so many different things from the edge position. He's got so much good power, um, his hands are incredible. Uh, the only thing with him is that he blew his Achilles at his pro day, which was really unfortunate because he was going to be probably a, a top 20 pick just with how dominant he was at times, um, rushing the passer. So he's going to really be the interesting one to watch. There's questions on if teams will pull the trigger on him just because of what his upside will be when he's back healthy. But there's a lot of questions too, is, is he going to be the same player when he gets back? Um, you know, we've seen some incredible things from guys coming back with Achilles injuries. Um, so hopefully he can get back and return to the same player that he was. Um, boy Mafi from Minnesota is another name to potentially watch maybe in the second round at the edge position for the Packers. Um, one of my favorite players to watch though on film, uh, in this position group was Jermaine Johnson from Florida state, uh, six, five, two fifty four redshirt senior. Um, I don't know if it's just, he went to the same college, but I got big time Brian Burns vibes from him. You know, Brian Burns came out, uh, in the same draft as Rashawn Gary did out of Florida state. And, the film is just very, very similar. I mean, very similarly built, just explosive as an athlete off the line. Um, you know, hands are 
really, really good, disciplined, uh, maintains leverage. You know, he can do so many different things, um, rushing the passer also. So, you know, if you're going to get an edge, I would highly recommend getting after him early because uh, it seems like they're going to probably come off the board pretty quick. Yeah, and just sticking with the defense and kind of sticking with the Big Ten, not necessarily for the Packers. I know I personally would love to see the fit here just, you know, with the connections here. But um, one player that the that Wisconsin fans probably very familiar with in a do- totally different position group is Leo Chanel. And I wanted to ask you, not necessarily a need for Green Bay, but kind of one of those guys that may be nice to have for that, in that depth or, you know, guy who might not even be there when they're picking in the second or third round. I want to ask you what you think of him as probably the top, obviously probably the top ranked Badger in this draft. Um, what do you think of Leo Chanel? Yeah, um, he is my top ranked Badger on the board. I gave him a, a 6.3 grade. So uh, that equates to a third round grade. So uh, the tag for that is kind of potential starter. Uh, he upgrades the rotation. So uh, 6'3", 250 good size for an interior backer, um, a gym freak from what I've heard. Um, he's a guy who is just strong in every sense, as far as matching up with tight ends or backs and coverage, taking on blocks in the interior, um, the Iowa game, particularly, you know, he saw a lot of, uh, Tyler Linderbaum, who is an interior offensive lineman for Iowa and I have him as my top interior offensive lineman. I have a first round grade on Tyler and Leo Chanel, um, was really, really good against him. Made um, him his bitch. I mean, I was at the game, Let, let's call it what it was. He made him his bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, Tyler had a hard time moving him. Um, you know, he's just, he's really, really strong. I mean, that's what it boils down to. His hands are really strong when, if you do get engaged and latch onto him, you know, you have a tough time moving him. His base and his core is very, very strong. Um, really good recovery ability. So if, you know, a, a blocker does get attached to him, you know, he can, you know, find his way to maintain balance and shed blocks and tackle. And, you know, there's things that I don't like as far as limited, uh, limited um, athletically as far as, you know, his lateral agility, I think he lacks the speed really to go sideline to sideline um, in pursuit. Um, I think he tends to kind of feel his way through blocking schemes on the interior. Uh, I would like to see more of a, a quick, decisive recognition downhill um, than he has currently shown. But, you know, those things are all teachable, you know, as far as the actual traits that you look for in an inside backer. Um, there's definitely a lot to like in Leo Chanel. So Mason, it's that time of the episode where I, I know you're not going to do it, but I'm going to make I'm going to try, start trying to see if I can do it anyway. Packers at 22, Packers at 28. If things play out kind of on your 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 ranking system, and maybe you know I don't know how big into mock drafts you are, where do the Packers go at 22 and 28? Well, I answer this question the same way I always do. Um, I start off by saying it depends how the board falls, uh, <laughs> which obviously is, uh, is, you know, pretty clear. You know, you can't pick players that aren't there anymore, but, um, man, it's, it's so hard just knowing how the board's going to fall this year because 
you know, you can see so many different players getting picked at different places, right? So you can you can see wide receivers going off the board super early. You know, you could see teams like the Jets who are in desperate need of a wide receiver. You could see them taking a receiver early. Giants, same thing. Eagles, same thing. Um, you know, it's it's so hard to say how the board's going to fall, um, but just guys to keep an eye on for they they have to pick a receiver first. I, I will at least say that they have to pick a receiver first. I'm not sure who's going to be there. Um, you know, my guess is that even though I have Traylon Burks as my number one receiver, uh, there's a chance that he may still be there at 22. Um, who knows how teams feel about Jamison Williams from Alabama and his, you know, he's coming off an ACL tear. Maybe that drops him down a little bit. He's that explosive, take the top off the the defense type receiver. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a couple of really good options. I feel like for them at 22 at the wide receiver position. And then, you know, when they get down to their second pick in the first round, it it has to be an edge defender or on the offensive line. And I would rather them get an edge guy because right now you have Preston Smith and you have Rashawn Gary, but you really need that third guy in the rotation that can come in and consistently produce. I mean, some of the best pressures that the Packers have brought defensively over the past few years have been when the defensive front included Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, and Kenny Clark. So Zadarius is no longer on the team. You know, you need that third guy to come in and, you know, be an asset in those situations. You know, you saw in the playoff game when they had those three rushers and then Kenny Clark on the field, you know, they were able to generate some really good pressure. So if they can find a guy, I would love Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. I don't think he's going to be there. Um, when the Packers pick, but maybe a car leftist from Purdue or maybe if a Jabo falls, um, you know, he may not be healthy for the start of the season, but once you get him in the fold, uh, I think he's going to be a really special player. So um, I know you're wanting me to hammer down on one player for each pick, but um, generally I would just look at wide receiver for that first pick and then an edge guy, or maybe on the offensive line for that second pick. So if, if Packer fan if Packer fan Mason had it his way, dream scenario, do you have a guy? Do you have if I word it like that, does that help or not really? Yeah, I mean, okay, that, that yeah, okay. Um, Jermaine Johnson would be from Florida State. I loved his tape. I had such a fun time watching his tape. Um, I think he is a guy who just seeks contact. Um, plays fast, plays hard, rarely stays black. His hands are super good as far as shedding and um, continuing into play. Hands super explosive, has so much power in his lower half. So he's a guy who I think would fit in super well. And his measurables, as far as his height and his you know, overall size, I think are very comparable to uh, Zadarius Smith, uh, 6'5", 254. So I think he'd be an awesome fit to go along with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Um, and then from the wide receiver position, I'm a little torn because I mean, 
there's a lot of really thing, really good things to like about Drake London for sure. Just as far as his size and you know the mismatch that he can create with his size and, and physicality, but you know at this point, I think the Packers need a little bit more of that take the top off the the defense type guy and a Jamison Williams is definitely a guy like that. Uh, a Johan Dotson is you know, similar, you know, very, very fast, uh, speed wise to go down the field, but a guy to keep an eye on a wide receiver. There's two that I'll kind of point to, uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota state. He's six, four, two Oh eight. Um, he's that size, but he is extremely fast at that size, which is pretty rare. Um, he's a guy to watch for. And then kind of a, uh, under the, I don't know if he's so much under the radar, but a you know, small school guy. He went to South Alabama. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, uh, 6'1", 194. He does a lot of the, I'm not comparing him by any means to Devontae Adams, but he does a lot of things that Devontae Adams could do just as far as getting in position to make catches. He fights through um, contested catch situations. Um, I think his release pattern is, um, is pretty good. Uh, obviously, like I said before, there's a lot of things that can improve, uh, from that perspective, but sinks his hips. He's quick to get in and out of his cuts, really good in contested catch situations. So, uh, those are a couple other guys to maybe watch at the wide receiver position that aren't maybe in that top, uh, tier that everybody's talking about. I know, I know we, you know, we, we, I don't want to really cycle back to it, but Christian Watson is a guy who I'm really excited about too. Um, if he could be, you know, possibly that guy at 28 or, you know, maybe trading back in the, th- you know, the second round, depending on how you feel about, you know, that 28th pick or, you know, whatever you got to do, maybe you trade one of those um, later second round picks to go back up. But definitely a guy I would keep my eyes on as well. I definitely, um, agree with that too now i I just want to kind of wrap up by asking here is there any guy in in, you know we talk quarter or we talk wide receiver we talk edge is that it would be a must trade up for a guy in this draft or do you think you're sitting pretty at 22 Uh, yeah i mean you know again it kind of all just falls back to you know how the board falls and what you would have to get give up to get up to a certain spot. So like, for instance, you know, if the Packers are sitting at 22, um, and let's just say they want to move up to 15. Well, you know, each team has, there's an old, you know, trade value chart, right? Um, you know, the, the 15th pick has a value of 1050 and the 22nd pick has a value of 780. So if you, of 1050 uh, minus the 780 come up with the picks to you know to make up the difference if if that makes sense so if you if you look at that you know you'd have to give up a second round pick to move up seven spots so i see it being fully possible because the packers have an additional second round pick now where they could move up six seven spots if they wanted to um and, and really, I think based on fit, I think 
there's a number of guys that you could view as, you know, worthy of trading up for. I think if you want to trade away a second rounder and you can, you know, get Garrett Wilson or Olave or London or, you know, Jameson Williams or Burks, you know, whoever it is, you know, if, if you are wanting a guy that much, you have the capital to move around a little bit for sure. Um, I'm not going to pinpoint one guy and says like, okay, if he's here, you have to go up and get him Cause I think there's a lot of value in the wide receiver position, you know, for th- throughout the first few rounds. Um, but they definitely have some, some flexibility as far as, you know, moving up or, you know, to your point, you know, if they get to 28 and they feel like they could get the player that they want early in the second, maybe they make a trade back. Um, so they definitely have the flexibility now with those, you know, two additional picks to move around a little bit if they so want to. All right. That's excellent talk on the draft. Mason, any other just kind of players you want to touch on here quick or any prospects or anything, maybe the most fun to watch overall on film? Yeah, well, the the most fun to watch for sure was was Kyle Hamilton. I touched on him earlier, you know, being my number one overall prospect. Um, I had just, just such a great time watching him on tape. Um, I think he's going to be really special in the league. He's kind of that, that Swiss Army knife that so many defenses are looking for. I think, you know, when um, Jamal Adams came into the league, right, he was kind of that you play a single high, play a two high, play in the slot, play, you know, kind of a linebacker alignment in the box. You know, so many teams are looking for that guy that can fit all these different defensive looks. And, um, you know, he's, he kind of is, is that guy. And, um, you know, the other one, and I've touched on him already too, um, is, you know, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Um, really enjoyed watching his tape also. I think um, he's got a really bright future as a pro in front of him also. Um, but then, you know, if I'm looking at a guy that maybe we haven't touched on yet, um, trying, to, trying to think just offhand here, because I feel like I've just brought up guys that we've already talked about. Um, I look at a guy like Cam Britt, uh, Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. Uh, he's a corner. I have a fourth round grade on him. He's 5'11, 196. Um, he's not going to be a guy that like wows anyone necessarily, but he's a three year starter and team captain. Uh, has a really high regards character wise. Um, he's played both corner and safety. So I think there's some flexibility with him there. Um, really a lot of good traits as far as no wasted movement with his feet. He's very efficient with how he moves. Um, his ball skills are very good. He's able to uh, hit that second gear and work downfield and track the ball deep with vertical routes. Uh, his play strength is good at the catch point and as a, as a run defender also. So, you know, the Packers are maybe looking for some corner depth in the mid rounds or mid to late rounds. Uh, maybe keep your eyes on uh, Cam Taylor Britt. Fantastic. Mason, And will you be going live or doing any sort of breakdown as the Packers do their picks? I don't plan on it, no. Um, I'm I'm one to uh, kind of just 
put a TV up in the, in the office here with the boards and have my, uh, rankings on the computer screen here and, uh, just kind of track things as they go. Um, you know, probably most likely maybe put something out after the draft, kind of just diving into you know, report wise, maybe what the Packers got or, um, maybe do a best available type thing after each day. But, uh, no plans for sure as of right now. All right. Well, either way, we'll definitely share it here on our side of things. And uh, just to kind of wrap up, because we don't usually get to do this with you, uh, you know, as we kind of transition here, if you will, uh, to the end of our episode, first, I want to ask, you know, first of all, I do want to thank you again uh, for coming on the show and filling in as the, the co-host when my others could not be here. And second of all, I do want to um, want to just kind of mention and kind of wrap up the show here with, we always uh, wrap it up with what we are rooting for in the upcoming week. Obviously, the draft a week away, so technically that doesn't fall within our guidelines. So between now and next week, Thursday or Wednesday, what are you most rooting for? Yeah, well, first, uh, just thank you for uh, for having me back on. It's always good coming on and talking ball, and uh, appreciate you guys uh, giving me a, a platform to, to talk some ball. Um, love breaking down different prospects and it's always really enjoyable for me to do. So I really appreciate that. Uh, hopefully I did the uh, co-host job justice. So hopefully, uh, Justin Ramsey, uh, won't be too ashamed of me, uh, taking their spot. But, um, yeah, this, this next week, I think the thing I'm rooting for the most is, uh, my dude, uh, Chase Elliott at Talladega this weekend. Um, you know, he's been taking some heat kind of for, uh, being the only Hendrick driver without a win this season, even though I can argue that he's probably run the best he's leading the points. Um, yeah, I think he has been running a lot better than, you know, what he's finished in some races. Uh, Caldega is always a favorite of mine. I was there, uh, last spring and it's just an incredible place to, to watch racing and the weather looks great. So, um, I'm rooting for some good NASCAR super speedway racing this weekend and uh, hopefully see that nine car in victory lane. That'd be pretty great. I know I'm a you know, big HMS guy. Uh, love to see HMS in victory lane anytime, whether it be Kyle, Chase, uh, William, or Alex. So definitely going to share that one with you. Also, it I got to say, it's my time of the year. It's, it's baseball time. Uh, just rooting for the Brewers. Tim Rattlers have good weekends here. Uh, back on the road for the Brewers. Tim Rattlers coming home for the weekend. Shout out to my guy Aaron, uh, who threw out the first pitch at the Tim Rattler game tonight as one of the Tim Rattlers 10 members. I know I'm a proud member myself as well, so hopefully get to do that myself later this season as well. Um, but so shout out baseball. And Mason, you know, I know that we share all your stuff, so you know, as the draft goes on, let us know so we can share it with our fans and definitely like i said thanks again for coming on uh with that we are out episode 70 is in the books and again thanks to mason justin ramsey they'll be back next week and we are out see ya